It's the first day of February. It's the day before Groundhog Day. It's Thursday. I'm Derek Hunter. This is the Derek Hunter Podcast. Don't forget about patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com where you get extra content, you get uh, contests, you get the inside dope, and you get to support the show. You get to be cool. Honestly, that's where the cool kids are. Check it out. Support the program. Five bucks a month is all we ask. That's all that keeps the whole thing going. Everybody not chipping in is free riding. Free riding. End. End that now, won't you? Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast. All right. Let us get started because, boy, howdy, what a day it has been. There is a lot going on. We have to... I I never in a million years would have thought, well, you're going to have to spend an awful lot of time talking about Taylor Swift. Because I never wanted to spend an awful lot of time talking about Taylor Swift. Now, in my life, I have spent more time than I would have liked to talking about Taylor Swift because my eldest daughter loves Taylor Swift. Thankfully, at least so far, the other one is passing interest. That's it. Has a passing interest. The six-year-old she's got, the five-year-old, meh, maybe. But, um, so yeah, I, the board books, the whole bunch of other garbage that goes along with being a Taylor Swift parent. Thanks. She wants to meet Taylor Swift. I had to record a video and put it out on Twitter to, for Taylor Swift. And I had to explain that Taylor was not going to, probably not going to see it and definitely not going to respond. So don't get your hopes up. And for like a month, did Taylor Swift respond? Taylor Swift's gotten about 5 billion tweets from then. About half of them are marriage proposals from dudes in prison. But okay. But... Now it has moved on from my five-year-old to the political world. I wrote about it in The Hill, in my column in The Hill, which is entitled Republicans Have a Taylor Swift, a Serious Taylor Swift Problem. And it is, it's like the top story at Drudge. People are going crazy about this. There's all sorts of just genuine stupidity going on on the right. And you wonder why we lose. Well, I talked about this yesterday a little bit about how Republicans just, it's not that Republicans are square, you don't understand. No, it's Republicans are stupid. There's a difference. There's a difference. What is going on with Taylor Swift is she's getting, she is the star of the moment. There's always a star of the moment. There will always be a star of the moment. They don't always get as big as Taylor Swift, but there's always been and always will be in the modern times a star of the moment, a flavor of the month. It was a BTS. It was Justin Bieber. You name it. There's always somebody. Well, since the New York Times reported that the Democrats would absolutely love to get Taylor Swift get her endorsement, get her tweeting and Instagramming about the wonders of Joe Biden, which might be a stretch, but the wonders of Joe Biden, I think she'd actually ultimately do it. I think she wants to, she's a liberal. Like, that's it. She, I don't know if she graduated high school, but she didn't attend high school. She was too famous then. So if she graduated high school, it was through, um, through tutors. 
It's through a, a weird world view that most people don't have. Her first job, she didn't have to worry about her first job. Her first job was what? Hiring a, a financial planner? Like, really? Is that that's the first job? <laughs> Probably. My first job was a concert for 25,000 people. Oh, okay. Your life is a little bit different than most people's. And in that is the disconnect between reality and her reality. There's reality for everybody, and then there's her reality. Now, she is a part of reality for everybody, but she also has her own reality. She is, you have to rush to the airport. I have to rush to the airport. Everybody's got to rush to the airport. Why? Because you got to go through security. You got to do this. You got to do, you got to pack early, get there, make sure it's just a pain in the butt. You sign up for TSA pre-check. You do this, that, and the other thing, and you get that clear thing too. I have both of them. I rarely fly and I try to avoid it as much as humanly possible, but damn it. I've got that stuff. I got both of them. Taylor Swift probably has no idea what the TSA is. She's flown as a kid, but when do you think the last time Taylor Swift had to go through a magnetometer was? When do you think the last time Taylor Swift was wanded? Ever? She goes in her uh, SUV driven by somebody else up to her private jet, gets out because the door is opened for her by someone else, walks up the stairs into the private jet. Her bags are loaded. She doesn't probably didn't even pack them. The stairs are closed by somebody else, and the plane goes off. She flies wherever she wants. She flew to Baltimore for a football game, and then she flew out. She flew in that morning. She flew out that night. She didn't have to go, what time is my flight? She is the time of her flight. If she'd showed up at 7 o'clock, that's when the flight was. If she shows up at 8 o'clock, that's when the flight was. If she decides to spend the night, that's when the flight is. It's a different world. So when you talk about the problems facing the average American or even the failures of the Biden administration or Democrat policies in general, she is thoroughly insulated from them in any way, shape, or form. She might go to the grocery store every once in a while, but she was already going to Whole Foods. Do you really think she's going to the Piggly Wiggly or the Safeway or the local, I don't even know, what was the hell was it? The Spartan store? That's what we had when I was growing up. The Spartan stores. Do you think she's rolling in there? Do you think she's going to a bodega? Or do you think she's going to, I'm sure there are something more expensive than, than Whole Foods. I'm sure the fancy rich people grocery store where you have to like get a retina scan and show three years of IRS tax returns in order to open the automatic doors. Those kind of grocery stores, probably where she's going. Nothing against those kind of people. But if you think that they understand that the price of eggs is triple what it was just a couple of years ago when Joe Biden took office, you think she understands it? She can comprehend it insofar as, well, it was what? It was $1.25 and now it's five dollars okay yeah sure that sucks but try and get her to comprehend what five dollars is she has no idea her tickets for her concerts are hundreds and thousands of dollars she doesn't know it doesn't matter she looks at something oh i'd really like to have this and a series of assistants fall like dominoes to make it happen and buy it 
If she walks into a store, okay, well, I'll take this and throwing this in a basket and giving this one to the assistant and giving this one to the assistant. And then they walk up. Maybe she, maybe she does a transaction. But again, she's not shopping at TJ Maxx. She's not out there where you are. Where you go, ooh, it's, it's 40% off or a clearance rack. I don't say this to belittle or, you know, say that's unfair that she's making, whatever. She's making what she's making. She's earning what she's making. She's not robbing anybody, unless you count the quality of most of her music. That's beside the point. It's hers. She doesn't understand the plight of the common man. She's popular. That's it. That's what entitles her, empowers her to live that way. And it's weird that that appeals to Democrats who, at least in most of my life, they don't do it anymore, used to try to appeal to the working class. We're the working class. We're the blue-collar party. We're the this, we're the that, we're the other thing. Now they're not. Yeah, they get the union bosses' endorsements, but the union bosses are wealthy. They think. When's the last time you think a union boss picked up a check out of his own bank account? We talked about work, right? Yeah, we did. Here you go. Here's the corporate card. That's how it works. That's how it works in nonprofits. That's how it works everywhere. So if you think this is your father, I love it. Joe Biden always says, this ain't your father's Republican Party. It's not your father's Democrat Party. It's not even your Democrat Party if you've been alive for more than a decade. And actually, it is your father's Republican Party. Because if you go back and you look at what Ronald Reagan ran on in 1980 and 1984, there isn't that much of a difference. In tone, sure, but in content, not at all between Donald Trump and Ronald Reagan. Now, the media and the left, of course, obsess on the tone and think that somehow that represents something more than nothing. It doesn't. It's the legislative and regulatory schemes of Ronald Reagan, of Barry Goldwater, of Donald Trump. If you get JFK, go look at what JFK stood for. Go look at what JFK, he was an anti-communist. He was pro-American. He had served in the military. He was an, a, you know, an honored, medaled World War II veteran, rabid anti-communist. He wouldn't get a daytime speaking slot at the Democratic Convention this year. He just wouldn't. So when you look around at the political landscape, it goes back to that bench I talked about. If you're sitting a Republican next to a Democrat and the Democrat just slides way down to the right and looks back at the Republican and says, look at that extremist over there. He is so far to the right. And like He hasn't moved or he's barely moved at all. Maybe he's leaned a little bit to scratch his butt. But that's it. You are the one who ran in the other direction. The Democratic Party of 10 years ago would not have been in favor of unfettered genital mutilation of children. Just wouldn't have. You imagine in the uh, Bill Clinton era arguing that men should be able to use women's restrooms because they feel pretty? But it's the Republicans who've changed. Republicans are extremists on this issue. You didn't talk about this issue until 20 minutes ago. And now it's the most important issue in the world, although it didn't really exist 
until a couple of years ago. And now you're a hero. You can't even tell me what a woman is. So are we to assume you've slept with men too? Or, I'm sorry, trans women? Because trans women are women, are they not? So how many trans women have you slept Well, why? Why are you such a transphobe? Why would you date a trans woman? Anyway, that's an aside. That's a story for another day. We get back to Taylor Swift. And this morning I wake up to find former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, amongst other people, tweeting wildly about Taylor Swift. And there's a GIF or JIF. They say it's pronounced JIF, but JIF's a peanut butter. GIF of Travis Kelsey dancing. And Scott Walker writes, Funny how liberals are interested in the opinion of a white man living in the 1% who does not work for Big Pharma and who, who does work for Big Pharma, an insurance company, and a business accused of using sweatshops, and who has a girlfriend who is going to fly around the world in a private jet to watch him play a game. I don't know what, I don't know all the things that uh, he does commercials for. I just know that he's in far too many commercials. This is a point of oversaturation, and I think we're looking at the next benefit, to be honest with you. But he works for Big Pharma and insurance. He does do state farm commercials. He does do uh, the Pfizer vaccine commercials. I don't know, is the subway use sweatshops? I don't know what uses sweatshops, but it doesn't matter. Whatever uses sweatshops. And his girlfriend flying around the world in private jets to watch him play a game. Now, this is Democrats, of course, because Travis Kelsey is wealthy. But what purpose is served by this? I don't know anything about Travis Kelsey's politics. I don't really care about Travis Kelsey's politics. I look at the clothing that I look at the way he I I'll admit. I look at I'm a slob. There's no question about that. But I don't dress like an idiot. I dress like a slob. If I look at somebody who dresses like an idiot, I assume they're an idiot. And Travis Kelsey kind of dresses like an idiot. You look at his clothing and you're just like, what what bet did you lose? What would you have gotten had you won the bet to wear this? Like, okay, it's fine. I don't have to hang out with him, but I don't expect great thoughts to come out of him. But he's just making money. He hasn't done anything yet, but in preparation or out of fear that his girlfriend, who is a committed leftist, who endorsed Hillary and endorsed Biden in 2020, but now she's a greater force of nature, in preparation for the prospect that she will come out and endorse Joe Biden again, which you know she's going to endorse Joe Biden. It's just a matter of how fervently she does it and what she's willing to do to advance that cause. So in preparation for that, they've decided to attack her preemptively and him preemptively. It's wildly stupid and counterproductive. It's just dumb. What is the point? What do you hope to accomplish on this? What do you hope to accomplish? I don't know. I don't know. But there is this strain of... I don't want really even some of them are conservatives. Some of them are just opportunists. Some of them are media whores who just want attention and will do anything for a buck who are out there talking about, well, Taylor Swift is a psyop. She's a government uh, spy or uh, establishment or whatever. I, 
I can't keep up with what these idiots come up with. They're just trying to probably raise money and increase their audience size based off of it. And in pursuit of that, they go and say some of the dumbest damn things on the face of the earth, so much so that this montage comes to us from Morning Joe. They put together a montage. Now, I don't know the context of all of these. I know the context of some of these. And some of them don't really need context because there's no context in which it doesn't sound stupid. But these, this is a montage of right-of-center people, some of whom I know, one of whom at least I consider a friend, and he's one of the least, one of the you know innocuous ones. But these people saying things about Taylor Swift that are just so beyond stupid, so as to be counterproductive. I kind of have a problem, though, with the hardcore Taylor Swift fans. This is a little bit what idolatry, I think, looks like, and you're not supposed to do that. In fact, if you look it up in the Bible, it's a sin. The Pentagon PSYOP unit pitched NATO on turning Taylor Swift into an asset. She's the perfect vehicle to go to those low propensity uh, white liberal women. We can do this as well. We don't have a Taylor Swift on our side, but you know who we have? We have Kid Rock, we have Ted Nugent, we have influencers, right? We have all these people, John Voight. She's going, let's effing go. If I heard that and, and my son was dating a girl, has a mouth like a teamster, that's Whoa. it. We both said that we were cheering for the opposite team, the Ravens, to beat out the Chiefs just because we have had enough of Taylor Swift. Don't get involved in politics. We don't want to see you there. Major League Sports in and of itself is nothing but a psyop. Get kids plugged into the cycle of going to public indoctrination camps, playing sports for their school, and going to games. You want to know why we lose? It's because we have people like this on our side. And we put them on TV. And we put them out in the lead. And you get like uh, Jack Posobiec sitting there going, you know, uh, they got Taylor Swift, but we got John Voight. Yeah, that's, wow. Hey, you really want to appeal to the youth vote, you get John Voight out there and... Uh, have him explain who he is for 20 minutes and then ultimately boil it down to he's Angelina Jolie's dad. And that will mean something to some of the audience, probably not anybody under 25, but whatever. Where the hell do these people live? What planet do these... That's idolatry. They're worshiping... She's a pop star. Okay, Grandpa? Do you really want to turn off everybody? On the face of the earth, do you want to turn off everybody who doesn't have a, a stick up their rear end? Is that what you want to do? Is that the plan? It's a great electoral strategy. Let's sit around and scream at people like the guys who used to sit outside the concerts that I would go to when I was a kid. You come out and you're going to hell, you're going to hell. And they're holding the signs up and it's like, wow, there's a, a conversation start. I used to have try and have conversations with those guys and it was impossible. It was You couldn't have a conversation because he wasn't there to have a conversation. He was there to yell. He didn't plan on anybody coming up to him, and he didn't know how to handle anybody coming up to him. But you watch this stuff, and you just go, you can see why. Now, maybe later on in life, some people will be open to this. But it sounds an awful lot like, oh, you're listening to those hippie music with the long hairs, those Beatles and blah, that Elvis. Look at the way his hips shake. It's all about... No, he's, he's singing. 
Don't be cruel or heartbreak hotel. No, it's all, it's horrible. We must show him from the waist up. Sorry, if you were looking at Elvis thinking about sex as he's gyrating and spinning his leg around, first of all, I don't know what kind of sex you're having. There's something going to be dislocated and probably a lot of, you know, blood being shed because he's spinning his leg around in a circle. All right? His leg, his one leg. You're doing it wrong. You're going to get hurt. But you, you're really going to turn into those people. You're going to turn into that. Oh, you can't listen to this music. This is it's horrible. It's horrible. Well, you know what that does? That just makes people want to listen to it more. That makes people run to it more. Whether well, it's verboten, what's the deal? What is so verboten? I mean, some people don't question that and just go, okay, well, then it's verboten. I was one of those people, and I hope to always be one of those people who go, well, what, what is it? that you don't want me to see. I want to see it. I'll judge for myself. Thanks. I don't want to take your word for it for anything. But that's not the uh, the world we have now. We just have a whole bunch of uptight people on TV going, Taylor Swift is going to be the death of the republic. Taylor Swift was involved in the last two elections. Not heavily. Don't be afraid of Taylor Swift, but don't think you can counter it. Not with a youth vote. You can counter it with older people. That's what you got to focus on. So anyway, we've got a situation where the Republicans are going to scramble. They're going to make fools of themselves. They're going to make idiots out of themselves. We need to, we need to attack Taylor Swift. No. You, first of all, if you really want to inspire Taylor Swift to fervently get involved in the political fight, start attacking her for no reason. All right? She's got nothing. She doesn't have, uh, she's got nothing else to do. She's got all the time in the world and all the money in the world. She doesn't give a damn. You really think she's going to go take a punch, an unnecessary punch? That's Taylor Swift's an idiot. She's, well, you know what? To hell with you guys. She's going to endorse Joe Biden. Get used to it and sort of ignore it. Don't make it out to be, A, a huge deal, or B, no big deal at all. And stupid and counterproductive. And why would you want that idiot's support? There isn't a Republican alive who wouldn't appear at an event with Taylor Swift in a heartbeat. I promise you that. I promise you that. And everybody you just heard in that little montage going, she's a horrible person and idolatry and blah, 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 would go, oh, wait, Taylor Swift is available. I can get an interview with Taylor Swift or I can get a picture with Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> They'll line up around the block for John Voigt. Actually, you know, nothing against John Voigt. I've met John Voigt at the... Uh, might have been the 2008 Republican convention. Whichever one was in Minneapolis. Minneapolis, St. Paul. I met him. I met a whole bunch. My friend Heath and I ran around and we... I got my picture taken with John Voigt. It's on my Facebook page somewhere. But uh, it was perfectly nice. He didn't bite my forearm like he did George Costanza. But the idea that you can combat Taylor Swift, no, the way you combat Taylor Swift, the way you counter, not even combat, the way you counter Taylor Swift is make a presentable case, make a good case to the American public. Taylor Swift is going to have enormous sway over people that vote at a rate of about 10%. Right? 
young people, the youth vote. She can influence the youth of America. Yes, she can. The story the other day about uh, when one one Instagram post from her saw like a 28,000 person increase in the number of people registering to vote. Okay, great. There are a lot of people registered to vote, but half of them show up to vote. And when you get down to the 18 to 24-year-olds, that number drops to almost insignificant. So it's great that, uh, you know, it's, it's important. It's not nothing that she was able to get people to register to vote, but can she get people to show up to vote? I don't know. Countless tens or hundreds of millions have been thrown at this we can get the youth vote idea, both Republicans and Democrats. We can get them, and they just don't show up. So maybe Taylor Swift can see a little bit of an increase in there, a 5% increase. But a 5% increase of 5% of the electorate is essentially a rounding error. But if you spend a whole bunch of time going, this Taylor Swift, She's talentless. She's a hack. She's a, they're, I don't want to use the word, but, you know, W-H, you can fill in the rest. There are going to be a whole bunch of these holier-than-thou people who I promise you behind the scenes are not holier-than-thou, who love to judge and because it's their shtick, it's their gimmick. It goes, well, she's terrible. She's a horrible, bad example for kids and blah, 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 blah. She's 33 years old. She's 33 years old and she's had a bunch of boyfriends. So what? Honestly, so what? She's not your daughter. She's not your friend. She wouldn't be your friend. You wouldn't be her friend. Who cares what she does? Is she hurting anybody? Is she hurting anybody? She's not hurting anybody. Some of her songs don't suck. Yeah, that's about the best I'll say. I'm not a big fan of music that doesn't involve, you know, like... Not metal guitars, but like alternative punk guitars. So you, you got that and you go, well, she's, uh, she doesn't completely suck. Okay, great. Good. She doesn't completely suck. But if you piss her off, if you start attacking her personally, how many boyfriends does she, has she had? What's her body count? What's this, that, and the other? Then suddenly she has... Perhaps the greatest incentive human beings ever created. It's not money. It's not even sex. It's spite. You give her a spiteful reason to actually make a concerted effort and go from one or two Instagram posts to a constant drumbeat and showing up at events and in the middle of her concert tour, stopping the show and saying, look, we need to talk about how important it is. That we stop those evil Republicans and Donald Trump, he's a blah, 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 and Joe Biden is the man. You want to inspire that, keep going down this road. Keep going down this road. I don't know that Taylor Swift is motivated by spite. I know that spite motivated me an awful lot in my life. Tell me I couldn't do something. Who the hell do you think you are? I'll go do it. I know a lot of other people who operate out of spite who you know, do not appreciate being told they can't do something or they'll not be able to do something or they're not good enough, and they'll go out and they'll do it. 
you start attacking Taylor Swift's character when you don't know a damn thing about her. Everybody makes judgments. Hell, I've made judgments of it, but my, it's just that. I recognize that it's my opinion. There's very little basis in fact, and it might be met with a bit of a, a dash of jealousy too. It's like, oh, I don't like private jet. Not, boy, I'd like to date Travis Kelsey because I think he dresses like an idiot and I'm not gay. But other than that, you know, like she's got a pretty cool life. Who wouldn't like to have no financial worry whatsoever? So that's envious. And you go, well, she's got a billion dollars. You just break off a million for me and throw it in my... That ain't how it works. But there is that sort of thing where you just look at it and you go, man, that would be nice to have. It's why people buy lottery tickets. But you don't attack the lottery winners. That jerk in California doesn't deserve it. No. You move on. Why is Taylor Swift any different? Why is Taylor Swift somebody who should get scorn from Republicans? You can maybe make the case. I don't know. But can you make a case from a strategic point of view? This is what you're going to do. Who do you gain by attacking Taylor Swift? On one side, you've got her worldwide billion fans or hundreds of she's followed by like more than half a billion people on various social media platforms i'm sure there's a lot of crossover on that i thought she was the most followed person actually so i looked it up for my column in the hill and she's only the fourth most followed person on all of social media which you know ain't nothing cristiano ronaldo is number one in the whole world but he's nobody's trying to court him because He's not an American. No Democrats are. Number two is Selena Gomez, which shocked the hell out of me. Selena Gomez, like, I mean, I know she's a celebrity. I know who she is. I know what she does. But to be that popular, I did not know that. And then there's Justin Bieber. And I remember Justin Bieber was was Taylor Swift probably 10 or 15 years ago. And once you sign up, you just keep following him. I don't know how many active accounts he has following him. But then there's Taylor Swift. No small feet. Nothing to sniff at. Not a bad deal if you're doing that. She's got 534 million followers across all of social media. Selena Gomez somehow has 698 or 89 million. 89.9 million. So she's really ready to roll that over. And Ronaldo has 897 million followers on social media. I just, I assume that's a huge percentage of all of those that are bots, but it doesn't matter. She says, buy this and it sells out. Any of them says, buy this and it sells out. Anybody says, do this and it gets done. If Taylor Swift, for, you know, just for the evil purposes, decided to pretend to engage in the Tide Pod Challenge, and down a, a cake made to look like a Tide Pod and film it and post it on social media, even if at the end she's like, I was just kidding, this is a cake. At least 100,000 people across the world would die because dumb kids would be trying to emulate it. She has power. Not John Voight power, but, you know, real power. So I don't know what you I know what you gain by garnering her favor or what you could gain. 
But I don't know where you think you're appealing by attacking her. Where does that go? Where does that part of the yellow, you know, at the beginning of the yellow brick road in The Wizard of Oz, they got the, oh, it starts off in a center and there's a swirl and there's the yellow brick road. It swirls out where there's also the red brick road. Nobody ever asked where the red brick road goes. It swirls around. Maybe that's where the, the yellow brick road leads to the Emerald City and you, you can get Taylor Swift's fans and the red brick road leads to a trailer out by the airport that's been abandoned for 20 years and most people just used to smoke meth and that's where attacking Taylor Swift gets you politically. Because I can't imagine it's productive in any way, shape, or form. All you can do is inspire her to go, well, you don't want me to weigh in. You think I'm an idiot? Well, let's just see about that. You think I'm irrelevant? Let's just see about that. Test that theory. I don't think she'd be able to get youth turn up, turn out by that much, up by that much, but she could get it up if she really made it a point to be her focus in life. She could increase that. And it would not be helpful. It would, in fact, be counterproductive to the conservative cause. Now, most of the people you heard in that montage won't really give a damn. Their conservative cause is limited to how much money they can make. They'll engage in hypocrisy. They'll engage in stupidity. They'll beclown themselves. And the people who blindly follow them won't ever notice it, won't connect the dots, and will keep sending checks. That's all well and good, I guess. You can't really, what do you, it's like the Democrats. They don't want to solve the border solution because they want to be able to run on the border problem. They want to be able to run on this. They want to be able to run on, if you solve a problem, you can't run on it. Well, if you, you solve a problem, you win elections, then you got to govern. Then you got to do something. Then you got to actually exert influence. It's much easier to sit outside and complain about how you're outside. I'm outside the circle. Those people won't let me in. Well, here, come on in. Well, how am I supposed to fundraise off of being inside the circle? I can't do that. You got to recognize shtick and separate it from principles. There's a lot of both out there, and they do seem to confuse with, you know, they, they do seem to have a lot of crossover. They really don't. But I'm telling you, if you want to counter Taylor Swift, you don't attack Taylor Swift. You're not going to knock her down. Donald Trump is the most famous man in politics, maybe the most recognizable man in the world. He's nothing compared to how popular Taylor Swift is. And being known isn't being popular. People, people absolutely love Donald Trump, but people absolutely hate Donald Trump, too. People absolutely love Taylor Swift or they're indifferent to Taylor Swift. She's fairly innocuous. I don't believe that aside from a few ex-boyfriends and maybe some former business partners or whatever, I don't think she's on very many people's enemies lists. So be smart about it. Make a better case to people. You've got a demographic that shows up at 50, 60 percent in, you know, 50 and above. Make a better case to them and try and turn that turnout up 10 percentage points. You get that up or get that up 10 percent. 
that'll be 25 times the number of young people that Taylor Swift could bring out if she inspired a 10% increase in the people 18 to 24 showing up. You win by winning. You want to win a race? Run faster. Don't put rocks and marbles in the lane of the person next to you. Run faster. Doesn't seem like rocket surgery or brain science to me. Seems pretty commonsensical, but then again, I'm not a grifter making a ton of money off of a whole bunch of people who will jump when I say jump. All right, I, I want to talk less about Taylor Swift for the rest of the show. I didn't want to talk about Taylor Swift that long, but I just watched these people, and you, you just think, how do you get it so wrong? How do you, how do you continually screw things up? You go, oh yeah, that's Republicans. That's what they do. A guy, somebody on Twitter responded to my my column about uh, Republicans have a serious Taylor Swift problem. Ha ha ha! No, Democrats are working hard to make people believe Republicans care about Taylor Swift. Nothing to do with Republicans caring about Taylor Swift. But if you think that Republicans can win with just Republican votes and that's it, good for you. I don't think most of Taylor Swift's fans are liberals. I think they're impressionable. I think that. they don't really know what they necessarily believe, but there are a whole lot of people out there, sadly, who will just go, well, this person says do this. So I'll do it. I'll do it. Why not? What's the problem? But there is other news out there. I want to get into the Cori Bush situation. Cori Bush is a detestable creature. She is a member of this goon squad. She can be counted on to immediately... She actually, I think, makes the squad look even worse. Where, like, every, somebody sneezes, and like, well, that's racist. Like, what, what the hell happened? Everything is racist to Cori Bush. She is very upset that uh, Han Solo dumps his smuggled loads uh, the first sight of Imperial. Sh- or no, wait, no, that's Jabba the Hutt. Nah, I, I got it. I'm thinking it's very similar physiques, so I. Uh, uh, but that's beside the point. I'm straying. Cori Bush is a representative from St. Louis. I believe she represents Ferguson, technically part of Ferguson as well. Wildly ineffective. It's certainly not a, let's just say that places that are doing well economically don't elect somebody like Cori Bush. They just don't. You have to be, I don't know, beat down. And lied to and, and susceptible to those lies to go, all right, well, I'll take this giant demagogue here. She'll do it. She is being investigated by the Justice Department because she is alleged. You always got to throw in that word alleged. She is alleged to have possibly committed crimes. It hasn't even been charged, but she, they think she might have committed crimes that were too big to ignore. Too big to ignore. She's spent somewhere around the neighborhood of between a half million and a million dollars on her personal security. Might even been upwards of two million dollars. She cares very deeply about her personal security. Who doesn't, of course? If, If you don't care about your personal security, the odds of anybody else caring about it are very slim. But Corey Bush is different to say the least. She is a fervent supporter to this day of defunding 
the police. You should not be able to be protected by the police. In fact, she is not only a fervent defender of defunding the police, she is a, an opponent, a vocal opponent, to the Second Amendment rights, meaning that you, not only she doesn't want the police to be around to protect you, she doesn't want you to be able to protect yourself and your family. Yet she's spending a fortune of campaign money to protect herself. The hypocrisy is enough to throw her ass out of out of Congress, but she's not going to be thrown. She's she's in a district elected by, quite frankly, low information voters, to put it mildly, dumb people who don't pay attention to the news, don't care that this this woman walks around with armed security while the crime-ridden district sees people robbed, murdered, and she doesn't really give a damn about it. She's more important than them. Well, yesterday, it was reported by Punchbowl News, I almost said Fishbowl News, Punchbowl News, that she is under investigation by the Justice Department. Now, it's kind of funny. I love how she, I'm going to play you this clip of her press conference. She takes no questions. It's not a press conference. She came out and read a statement. This is what politicians do. They don't want to, they can't stand up to scrutiny. Their lawyers are like, for the love of God, whatever you do, don't take a question. Make sure we we had everybody, the PR team and the lawyers, write this statement, read it word for word, and that's it. Get the hell out. Do not ad lib. Do not do anything. And so they do it. They do it, and you go, well, why would anybody do that? They do that because they want the B-roll, or they want the person on camera strategic. It's political. You want the person accused or alleged accused of, they want them on camera denying it. And the second you start asking questions, God knows where that could go. So you can't answer any questions. Just stick to the script Every little segment of the script written by lawyers and PR people, no matter how it's snipped by the news, is part of the message you want conveyed, and you just go out and do it. As somebody who's worked in that industry, that's how it works. So she is out there reading this statement, takes no questions whatsoever, and denies everything, and then pulls a page from the Clinton handbook. Remember Hillary and the vast, the real story for anybody out there willing to look at it is the vast right-wing conspiracy. She doesn't address any specifics behind how her campaign spent hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars protecting her. She doesn't address the specifics of how much money her then-boyfriend, now-husband, managed to finagle. It's well north of $100,000. She doesn't address the fact that her husband now, who was, quote, hired to do her security, was not licensed to do security, had no real experience doing security. It was just a way to funnel money from the campaign, which you can't do legally. Now, we saw this with Ilhan Omar, another member of the squad. It's weird how all these leftists who are big-time socialists who decry the evils of moneyed people, oh, the rich, they need to pay their fair share. 
they end up hiring their spouses to work for their campaigns, to do whatever. Ilhan Omar's third husband, the only sexually liberated radical Muslim woman on the face of the earth, Ilhan Omar. She married her brother, then she had another husband, and then she had an affair, alleged affair. There's a lot of crossover there with her new husband. She also is one of those people who's racist. This country's racist. This country, she married a white dude. I don't get it, but whatever. Like, I wouldn't, if I really believed that everybody with a different skin tone was out to get me, I wouldn't even consider it. But these people are doing it for show. But Ilhan Omar paid her husband's consulting firm hundreds of thousands of dollars to help out with her campaign. A campaign she squeaked by with, if I remember correctly, 76% of the vote. So either he is the greatest consultant ever or it was a foregone conclusion she was going to win and she just said, well, we can legally do it. You can legally, it's not ethical, it's not, shouldn't be even legal, but we can do this, so I'm going to hire you and pay you. Because you can't, Ilhan Omar can't take $150,000 from her campaign funds and put it in her personal bank account. She can't do that. That would be illegal. My God, how dare you? What she can do is take $150,000 in campaign funds and give it to her husband's consulting firm for strategy. And then he can put it into a joint bank account. And that's perfectly legal. See how this works when you make the laws? Maxine Waters, there's a whole slew of Democrats who do the exact same thing. Cori Bush, she took a bit of a risk. She started shoveling the money to the husband when he was just the boyfriend. So she didn't get access, guaranteed access, to at least half of the joint bank account until after the deed was done. But, you know, sacrifices had to be. It's a matter of trust. If you're going to be corrupt with somebody, you have to trust them completely. Anyway, Cori Bush came out yesterday, read a statement, blamed Republicans, blamed right-wing smear merchants for questions she is unable to answer, and uh, then refused to take any questions. In the interest of uh, fairness, I want to give you her entire statement. I hold myself, my campaign, and my position to the highest levels of integrity. I also believe in transparency, which is why I can confirm that the Department of Justice is reviewing my campaign spending on security services. We are fully cooperating with this investigation, and I would like to take this opportunity to outline the facts and the truth. Since before I was sworn into office, I have endured relentless threats to my physical safety and life. As a rank-and-file member of Congress, I am not entitled to personal protection by the House and instead have used campaign funds as permissible to retain security services. I have not used any federal tax dollars for personal security services. Any reporting that I have used funds for personal, for personal security is simply false. In recent months, right-wing organizations have lodged baseless complaints against me, peddling notions that I have misused campaign funds to pay for personal security services. That simply is not true. 
I have complied with all applicable, law, applicable laws and House rules and will continue to prioritize the rules that govern us as federal elected officials. In particular, the nature of these allegations have been around my husband's role on the campaign. In accordance with all applicable uh, rules, I retained my husband as part of my security team to provide security services because he has had extensive experience in this area and is able to provide the necessary services at or, or below fair market rate. These frivolous complaints have resulted in a number of investigations, some of which are still ongoing. The Federal Election Commission and the House Committee on Ethics are currently reviewing the matter, as is the Department of Justice. We are fully cooperating in all these pending investigations. In September of last year, 2023, after conducting a month-long investigation, the Office of Congressional Ethics found no wrongdoing and voted unanimously to dismiss the case. I look forward to this same outcome from all impending investigations. And I am under no illusion that these right-wing organizations will stop politicizing and pursuing efforts to attack me and the work that the people of St. Louis sent me to Congress to do to lead boldly, to legislate change my constituents can feel, and to save lives. Oh, dear God. Oh, no, 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 no. I love how she's like, in the interest of transparency, I don't know, the, uh, the story had already broken. Right? You don't get to uh, claim in the interest of transparency you're admitting something when you don't actually admit it. You're not the one breaking it. If... She'd known for uh, some time, I'd imagine, that the Justice Department was looking into this. But once Punchbowl News got it, it suddenly, well, uh, I, admit, I, I admit that this is going on. Oh, really? I admit that the sun rose in the east today. In the interest of transparency, full disclosure, uh, the sun definitely rose in the east this morning. And, uh, yeah. And you just sit there and you go, who who falls for this crap? Well, the people who elected her, <laughs> honestly. If you really want to know, it is the people who elected her. That's who falls for this crap. So I looked it up because I remembered I have another clip here from good old Cori Bush where she talks about, uh, this was from 2021, where she talks about the importance of her life and why it is. It's not hypocritical for her to have armed security around her while calling for defunding of the police. Because her life is important. She's got stuff to do. Don't you get it? She's got stuff to do. To hell with you. You can die. You're irrelevant. But she's got stuff to do. And she's not about to let some racist get in the way of it. Listen to the uh, the arrogance here in this. You can't get that off. I'm going to make sure I have security because I know I have had attempts on my life. And I have too much work to do. There are too many people that need help right now for me to, to allow that. So if I end up spending 200000 if I spend 10, 10, 10 more dollars on it, you know what? I get to be here to do the work. So suck it up. And defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police and put that money into social safety nets because we're trying to save lives. We're trying to save lives, especially mine. 
Attempts have been made on her life. That's the part that stuck out. Attempts have been made in her life. Attempts have been made in her life. I looked it up. There's no record whatsoever of attempts being made in her life. In fact, at the time when that story broke and she was out there being exposed as uh, somebody who wants to defund the police but wants armed security around her at all times, she released a couple of uh, tweets and I think one voicemail that said that she was getting racist death threats. Racist death so like what? What out there is uh, these? What are these racist death threats? Said you got here's one. You guys are traitors and should be dealt with uh, the punish and should be dealt with the punishment of being a traitor, hung and shot by firing squad. Okay, it's not pleasant, but is that a death threat per se? I've been called much worse. I've had much greater threats sent to me. She said, white supremacists wanted me dead before I came to Congress, and white supremacists threatened my life have only intensified as a black woman speaking truth in the halls of power. Just know they won't stop us. They can't. Why are you pluralizing yourself? Bush then tweeted some of the messages she received. One said, you're going to get yourself, quote, murdered if you kept running your mouth. Murdered. Now, um, I don't know if you've ever received a death threat. I don't recommend that you receive death threats. It's not a fun thing. But they do not go, I, I shall murder you in the legal sense. They are not Marquis of Queensberry's things. That is, you're not going to get yourself murdered if you don't stop. That's not how they work. That's how it works when you're sitting there and you go, and I got to, I better figure out how to drum up some support somehow. I've got to get some sympathy or whatever. Then you end up with asinine tweets from anonymous accounts and go, see, see, see? Like, yeah, well, welcome to the party, pal. And if you're wondering, I looked it up. Cori Bush was elected for the first time in 2020. She just squeaked in there as a Democrat with 78.8% of the vote. And then she raised a bunch of money because she had to worry about her reelection. She had to raise a ton of money to be able to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on her then boyfriend, now husband, uh, in order to protect and save her life. That she, it was, it was a much, much closer race in 2022 than it was in 2020. And so that money that she raised was absolutely justified and not in any way, shape, or form corrupt forms of payment from left-wing organizations uh, whose bidding she does. It's like I say, it was much, much closer. She managed to pull off a victory, a nail-biter, really, with 72.8% of the vote. Down! Down fully six points! From the year before, why at this rate, by the turn of the next century, she could be in a serious 50-50 district. (sighs) God help us. Yeah, I don't know. We'll find out if she's guilty or not, or if the Justice Department thinks she's guilty, or if the Justice Department does an actual real investigation. But never forget, she's the real victim here of what I don't know. But she's the real victim, and I think if you ultimately look at it, you'll find out, as in most cases when people claim victim status, they're really their own perp at the end of the day. 
So I want to shift from Democrat corruption to Democrat corruption. <laughs> I know. Which one, Derek? Which one? Well, down on the border. Yesterday, the uh, advanced out of committee two articles of impeachment against the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. Mayorkas is just, he's one of those people, you listen to him talk, he's just the smuggest, just, uh, you, uh, you listen to him talk, you watch him talk, nose in the air, arrogant, thinks he is above it all and feels no need to answer a question. The border is secure. I don't know. The border has never been more secure. And then Joe Biden comes out and says, yeah, the border is not secure. It hasn't been secure for 10 years. Uh, the president is his own opinion. I'm doing what exactly is required of me by law. No, you're not. No, you're not. And so the uh, violation of federal law is grounds for impeachment for cabinet secretaries. You always hear this in the media explained as this has been you know, more, than, more than 120 years or whatever it's been since the last time a cabinet secretary faced impeachment. They don't explain what it is that Mayorkas is being accused of having done because there isn't a single... Democrat in the entirety of the House of Representatives who gives a damn about the southern border. They're down there going, well, Republicans have created this problem on the southern border, and they're out there saying that they're going to fix it, but they're not interested in fixing it. They're interested in partisan attacks. Now, it's weird. Republicans have made a convincing case by showing that the Secretary of Homeland Security does not enforce existing law. Democrats have not tried to refute it. They've distracted from it and they've ignored it themselves. And the Democrats' response is, we need to change existing law. You must give the president and the secretary of Homeland Security the power to do things that we want done that they already have the power to do. And you go, well, if they're currently ignoring existing law, why in the hell would we think that they wouldn't ignore the next law. That's the problem. That's why you can't trust Joe Biden. That's why you can't trust a Democrat. That's why you can't look at this situation and go, here's what we do. We'll pass a law that says this, that, or the other thing. Would you believe that Joe Biden would instruct his administration to actually enforce that law? Or do you think that Joe Biden might instruct his administration to learn new and creative ways of counting? Right. Five thousand people a day come into the uh, country illegally. Then we have to shut it down. Well, who's to say what a day is? Who's to say how long when a day starts and when a day ends? See, to you and I, it's common sense. But I can tell you, as somebody who's witnessed this firsthand, votes in Congress are generally 15 minutes. There are things like government funding, government budgets that would lead to government shutdowns if not passed. Happens in states, too, by the way. At midnight, the government shuts down. At midnight, X happens, whatever it is. And the legislature at 1159 votes to stop the clock. 
Where do they get this mythical power from? And it can be stopped for hours as negotiations continue. And whatever calamity they've been crying about trying to apply pressure on people, it is a, a legal mechanism where something happens. They just go, all right, well, we'll stop the clock and we'll go. I've seen 15-minute votes go on for hours and hours. The Medicare Modernization Act vote in 2000, uh, 2003, maybe, when they added the prescription drug benefit to Medicare. That vote was open for at least four hours, that 15-minute vote. They just stopped the clock. Rules are for suckers. Time is for people who have no ability to vote to stop it. And so they have all of these ridiculous things that they do, all of these ridiculous things that they can do to get around what you and I could never get around, the plain language of the law. Well, it goes back to the perfect example is Bill Clinton. While asked under oath, is there, are you in a relation, is there a relationship with Monica Lewinsky? Is there a sexual relationship? No, there is not. Meaning at that moment in time, while in the middle of a deposition in front of a grand jury, he was not currently having relations with Monica Lewinsky. In his head, only a lawyer could come up. Well, only a sleazebag and a lawyer could come up with that. Sleazebag or a lawyer, I guess. He just happened to be both. It's the only way to come up with that kind of answer. Like, no, there is no relationship. And then when brought back after they'd gotten the dress, which... Like, if there's no relationship, what are you doing? Are you messing around with are you having an affair with her laundry? Then he came back and said the famous that he, he did not commit perjury. He was not lying when he said there is no sexual relationship because he wasn't having a relationship where he wasn't in relations in flagrante at that particular moment. And he says that's. It depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. Now, that gets all the play because in and of itself, it's hilarious and stupid. And like an adult human male is really trying to argue that. Worked with his wife. So, I mean, what the hell do I know? But the rest of it was if it's is there and was there ever, never, whatever, then it's not. Then it's not true. But if it's is there at that moment then it was a true statement. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's insane. Go look it up. You can, the whole testimony, the whole thing. I'm sure it's clipped on YouTube too. But that's what Bill Clinton's argument was. That was the context of it depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. Like, well, currently I'm not in bed with Monica Lewinsky or the butler's pantry or whatever, wherever we did our thing, because I'm testifying. That's what I was saying. If it is there a relationship, an inappropriate one, and uh, ever different answer. Just like he said that he was never alone. This is another beauty of Bill Clinton and why you can't trust not only Democrats but politicians. Because um, even if you get it in writing, you're just like, well, that's not what the word means to me. But he was asked whether or not he was alone, ever alone with with Monica Lewinsky. And his answer was basically no. He was never alone in the first deposition. Obviously, he had to admit, well, in the traditional definition of the, the term alone, then yes, he was alone with Monica because they were screwing around. But he answered originally no, he was never alone with Monica. 
And how did he explain that one later? He said, well, because there were people in the White House while they were alone doing their business in the uh, whatever, the little butler's room off the White House or in the other office that isn't the Oval Office. Like, oh, there are other you mean there are other people on the planet. So then none of us are ever alone. So if anybody ever feels alone, I feel so alone. You can just tell somebody or tell yourself, look, there are other human beings on the planet. I don't know what the problem is. You're not really alone, right? That's the kind of mentality that we're dealing with when it comes to Democrats and the border. So if you're sitting there and you see the plain language of the law now and you recognize that things were different under the Trump administration, and the first things that the Biden administration did in the first several days was sign dozens and dozens of executive orders undoing the policies of the Trump administration. They could have just said there's no reason to sign an executive order. The actions of the previous president were null and void. They were unconstitutional, but they were sued every single time Donald Trump did anything and they were not overturned. So you go, all right, well, then let's sign an executive order undoing these things. You can't then claim that you can't redo those things, that you need some sort of special legal authority bestowed upon you by the legislative fairies or something that can give you the power to do what you had the power to undo. If you have the power to undo something, you most definitely have the power to do it as president of the United States. But you can't argue that. And since Democrats can't argue that Alejandro Mayorkas is bothering to enforce the law as written, they need to just distract. They need to just straight out lie. And so I have here, it's Congressman Jim McGovern, Democrat from Massachusetts, because aren't they all from Massachusetts, arguing that the border is not open. Now, even the president basically is that it's not secure. But to argue that it's not open when we're learning how many hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens have marched across the border in the last few months, it's been over 300,000 per month. Over 300,000 per month. And no, the border is not, the border is totally secure. The border, really? How secure? How do you figure that? There were 371,036 encounters. This is how MSNBC put it in their graphic. Encounters with undocumented migrants in December. Illegal aliens entering the country. 249,785 illegal crossings between ports of entry along the southern border in December. And you sit there and you go, wait a second, is it 371, 249 crossings? And how do you square that circle? Well, again, if you control the unit of measure, you control everything. You can say, well, there are this many encounters. Well, that leaves what? 120,000 gotaways, 122,000 gotaways? Maybe. They don't release, they didn't release that number. Encounters. They send them back and they come back. Is there 122,000 people they encountered multiple times or twice? I love this one, by the way. At the bottom of the graphic on MSNBC, it was 50% decrease in southwest border encounters 
in first two weeks of January. It took them until the end of the month to release the December numbers, which was just counting because they didn't want the world to know those numbers. But somehow they have the idea of what happened in the first two weeks of January and that somehow that's down 50%. And of course, MSNBC unquestioningly in the gang over at Morning Joe goes, oh, well, let's put this in a graphic. The department that has the most vested interest in lying to us about this very thing has given us this very thing. Let's report it as fact unquestioningly and let's not bother to have any Homeland Security officials on board to talk about it. It'll be great. What could possibly go wrong? You can do that when you have no journalistic standards. Anyway, back to Congressman Jim McGovern. I want you to listen to this. This is how Democrats are countering, if you can call it that, the case for impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas. They're basically saying the border, the border is not open. Mr. Speaker, let me set a couple of things straight. Uh, the border is not open. Now, maybe uh, some people think it is because my Republican colleagues every day for the last two years have come to the floor screaming the border's open, the border's open, the border's open, but the border is not open, and that is just a fact. And today there are approximately 38,000 people in immigration detention, which is 4,000 more than what DHS is funded for and roughly what the Trump administration averaged in fiscal year 2018. The Biden administration has also significantly increased removals in ways that many on our side of the aisle are concerned violates due process. Since the end of Title 42 last year, the Biden administration has removed or returned to Mexico close to 500,000 individuals. The total is nearly equivalent to the number of people removed in all of fiscal year 2019 under the Trump administration. So please, please stop making things up and stop claiming the border is open. It is not. Do we have a problem at the border? Absolutely. Absolutely we do. But listening to the gentleman who has no solutions, I mean, I think he thinks this is Beetlejuice. If you say crisis three times, the problem goes away. No, you've got to take some action. You've got to work to try to address the issue. Democrats and President Biden want to find real, comprehensive solutions to fix it. What we need is Republicans to stop playing political games. Yeah, it's those dastardly Republicans who are counting between three and 400,000 illegal aliens coming into the country every month the end of last year. An increasing number each month sets a new record. But don't worry, there's no crisis down. There's no, there's no, the border is not open. Boy, imagine how many people would cross the border if it were closed or if it were actually opened. I don't know how these people live with themselves and I don't understand how anybody could vote for these people, but that's the world that we live in. I love how he also says the party of Donald Trump needs to be thrown off the ballot because he's been accused of crimes are now sitting there going, we need due process rights for these sweet, sweet, nourishing illegal aliens. Why? You don't afford it to Americans. How many of the January 6th protesters are still sitting in prison four years later or three years later? How many of them? 
and not a single they're not even been been convicted of anything yet. They're not a single Democrat gives a damn about them. Not a single Democrat, but they're very concerned about the due process rights of illegal aliens. The border is not open. By the way, stop sending illegals up to Boston. We're overwhelmed. We can't handle it. We got to get them off Martha's Vineyard as quickly as possible. Man, imagine how overrun Boston, New York, Chicago, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, would be with illegal aliens if, in fact, the border were open. So thank God it's closed. God bless Joe Biden. What a miracle worker. I mean, provided you don't pay any attention to what's actually going on. What have you talked about? All the corruption, all the garbage, all the lies, all the people sitting there going, no, no, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not this, it's not that, it's not the other thing. The left is relentless. The right can't seem to multitask. The left can't seem to stop. They will not stop. They are like the Terminator. They go full bore all the time, nonstop, corruption, no matter what sort of thing is exposed about them, they just plow right along. They're like a, a wolf that gets caught in a trap and chews its leg off to get away, except they're also lizard-like because the leg will grow back. They just keep going. They're like the liquid terminator. But there's always something. There's always something new. This story from the Washington Free Beacon. Oh, good old Harvard. One thing about Harvard, I don't know if you know anybody who went to Harvard, but everybody I've ever met who went to Harvard or people I know went to Harvard, they find a way to work it into just about every damn conversation they have. This is a really good sandwich, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Reminds me of the sandwich I used to get uh, when I was up at Harvard. It's right off. Okay, yeah, I get it. You went to Harvard. Congratulations. They find a way to work it in no matter what. Now they're probably not. It's been a while since I've been around anybody who went to Harvard. But uh, now I imagine they're kind of going, didn't you go to Harvard? I mean, go. I was was there. It's what the degree says. But I wasn't really there there. Maybe they're all terrified that somebody's going to go, hey, let's let's take a look at the work you did while at Harvard, the schoolwork, and see if you plagiarized. I don't actually think they're worried about that. Uh, The students are scrutinized for plagiarism. The students have a code of conduct. It's the administrators, it's the bosses who don't. Claudine Gay, of course, got uh, tossed out on her rear end, the president, because of more than or roughly 50, at least as of the time she resigned, instances of plagiarism at Harvard. Took, you know, 40 wasn't enough. Once they got to around 50, they were like, okay, fine, you should probably go. And then in her letter of resignation, she didn't acknowledge any of the plagiarism, which is pretty unambiguous, and she instead claimed victim status. Though a white racist society, the patriarchy, blah, 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 blah. And she's, again, one of these people who, like, you see racism everywhere. Everything's racist. It's structurally this country's racist. Why'd you marry a white guy? Just ask him. But uh, now there's another scandal up at Harvard, and it involves plagiarism. This one does not involve Claudine Gay, at least not yet. 
But the Washington Free Beacon reports it's not Claudine Gay, Harvard University's chief diversity and inclusion officer. Sherry Ann Charleston appears to have plagiarized extensively in her academic work, lifting large portions of text without quotation marks and even taking credit for a study done by another scholar, her own husband, according to a complaint filed with the university on Monday and a Washington Free Beacon analysis. Ripping off her own husband. Her husband I don't know if you can waive decent. I don't know if you can waive academic standards. Like if your your wife or your husband rips you off, I don't think you can say, no, I'm cool with that. It's the concept. At least it's supposed to be the concept that's the problem. The complaint makes 40 allegations of plagiarism that span the entirety of Charleston's thin publication record. you got to love these people. Academia used to require standards. You can't just be... I love these people who are like, I am an academic. I am a public intellectual. And it used to mean you've, you've done a lot of peer-reviewed journal writing. You've done some studies. You, you've, you've put things out there that didn't exist before. Not just your opinion, but you went out, you found original information. You had some insights some thoughts, and you went out and tested it. You had a hypothesis. You tested it. You found out what it was. You backed it up. You wrote it down. You showed your work. And then you let other people with knowledge on the subject and the ability to check your math, look at it in a peer-reviewed journal. That's the peer review part. Now it isn't. Like, well, I'm a published author. I wrote a couple of op-eds. Oh, you wrote a couple of op-eds, did you? Why, that's the same damn thing. Why not? Just go for it. Well, you don't have to like the results of, of an academic study, but you, you can't deny that they're kind of important. You can try and negate them. Hell, the whole climate change garbage thing is all about the studies show, the studies show, and then you look at them and you realize there's no real peer review going on there. It is peer agreeing. It is you agree with this or you're not going to get any grants anymore. And like, okay, it's a lot like the mafia. It's a lot like the the Godfather. Like you put the contract down and you put a gun down. Like your signature or your brains are going to be on this contract. It's entirely up to you. It's freedom of choice. So, yes, the, uh, the blah, 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 in her 2009 dissertation submitted to the University of Michigan, Charleston quotes or paraphrases nearly a dozen scholars without proper attribution. The complaint alleges. Now, there's uh, two possibilities. Just academically, she's a fraud. Doesn't know, doesn't care, thought she'd get away with it. Skated her whole life. Why would this patch of ice be any different? Or she's just wildly incompetent and doesn't know how this stuff works. In which case, she should be nowhere near an administrative position at a, an institution of higher learning, lower learning, or even a skilled trade. And in her sole peer-reviewed journal article, co-authored with her husband, LeVar Charleston, in 2014, the couple recycle much of a 2012 study Published by LeVar Charleston, the Deputy Vice Chancellor for Diversity and Inclusion at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, framing the old material as new research. Don't you love that? Don't you just love that? Hey, let's just do uh, Why bother? Standards are gone. If you're looking to get by on things other than ability, 
ability doesn't matter. It's not that I want in addition to this, these professional victim classes and the people who find offense on behalf of others who may not even be aware of how they have been offended. They don't bother with merit. It's enough, and it's a testament to just how far academic standards have fallen that you can skate all the way to senior management at a university like Harvard, the university, on nothing more than platitudes and garbage, the right political beliefs, and a willingness to implicate or implement the progressive agenda. Though that sleight of hand, or through that sleight of hand, Sherry Ann Charleston effectively took credit for her husband's work. The 2014 paper, which was also co-authored by Gerlando Jackson, now the dean of Michigan State's University College of Education, and appeared in the Journal of Negro Education, has the same methods, findings, and descriptions of survey subjects as the 2012 study, which involved interviews with black computer science students and was first published in the Journal of Diversity in Higher Education. You gotta love it. How many journals do they have? As many journals as it takes. How about the Journal of No Standards and let's just get this thing over with. The Journal of, I don't have anything interesting to say, but need a paper trail in order to get an administrative job with tenure and a nice mid-six-figure salary. That's what it should be. The two papers even report identical interview responses from those students. The overlap suggests that the authors did not conduct new interviews for the 2014 study, but instead relied on LeVar Charlton's interviews from 2012, a severe breach of research ethics, according to experts who reviewed the allegations. Well, of course it is. You're representing a study that you did, a survey you conducted as new when it is not new, when it's not even like cast aside. It's not even we've recut the movie with deleted scenes and alternate takes. It's straight up, here's the same thing. Go back and look. For God's sakes, don't go back and look. How many people do you suspect read the journal? This is the thing. There are a million so-called journals, science journals, whatever, peer-reviewed journals. Nobody reads them. What do you think the audience of the Journal of Diversity in Higher Education is? Aside from staff and anybody who happens to be published in that particular issue. What do you think the the readership is? Zero? Less than zero because most of the staff doesn't bother reading it? Now, the Venn diagram of the journal of... Venn diagram is two circles with the the overlap between two distinct groups. The Venn diagram, the, the overlap of the Journal of Diversity in Higher Education with the Journal of Negro Education has to be zero, right? So you can get away with it. It's not like they found this study from a 1960s journal that isn't available online. Nobody's got it. Nobody's seen. This might be the only copy that survived. So we can rip this straight off. And the odds of anybody finding out about it are slim to none. This ain't that. This is roughly similar, seemingly audience named journals. Two years apart, 
not only two years apart, one of the freaking authors is the author of the original thing. So if somebody's reading the second one and they go, hey, you know what? This? I'm going to look up some of the past works of these authors. You'd find that the first two, the two ladies, did nothing. They don't have any paper trail, whatever. I don't know what Gerlando is, so maybe that's a man. Who knows? But uh, it, uh, there's no paper trail in it. But interestingly enough, the guy, the one guy, LeVar Charleston, he's got a very similar paper just two years ago. Huh. Let me look and see what has changed in the last two years that has warranted this new. Wait, there's no difference. No difference. Whatever. Huh. Wouldn't that set off some bells and whistles? It should, but it's an indication, and I don't think this is based on race, although it may be, who knows? I don't know the minds of the people who hired these these people. But they just say, oh, they're published. Nobody decided to look at them. Maybe you just put something on your resume and it doesn't matter what it is, and they just go, all right, he's obviously published in peer-reviewed journals. First question should be, have I ever heard of this journal? Second should be, does this journal actually exist? Then you get down to the, okay, well, let's look at what the study was. And you go, this is stupid and pointless because there's a whole lot of stupid and pointless studies done every single day, forget every year. But at some point you would have noticed this. If you if this guy's listing in his, his syllabus or in his uh, bibliography, here are the papers I've written. If you're thinking about hiring that person, a normal person would go, well, let me take a look at these. Let me see if there's any academic value in them. But no, the academic value is in the title. The academic value is in the the subject. And so you just get along with it. You get away with it. Quote, the 2012 paper appears to be an entire, uh, appears to be entirely counterfeit, said Peter Wood, head of the National Association of Scholars and a former associate provost at Boston University, where he ran several academic integrity probes. Quote, this is research fraud, pure and simple. This guy's committing career suicide, by the way, if he's not protected. Never heard of the National Association of Scholars, but I didn't realize that they were run by a Klansman. That's going to be the response. Might as well get ready for it. Sherry Ann Charleston was the chief affirmative action officer at the University of Wisconsin-Madison before she joined Harvard in August of 2020. That means she's been on the job for four years and nobody's bothered to look at any of her credentials at all. And it wasn't like, well, how are we supposed to get through all of these listed articles and papers and books? No, she had one peer-reviewed article that she co-authored with two other people and it turns out they just rehashed the stuff from her husband why because well how else are you going to get these jobs you do have to have published something they haven't we waived completely the standard that you had to have published something they just waived the standard that it has to be good or original or honest or not ripped off in that capacity of chief Diversity officer, Charleston serves the staff advisory committee that helped guide the university's presidential search process that resulted in the selection of former Harvard President Claudine Gay in December 2022, according to the Harvard Crimson. It all comes back again, a snake eating its own tail. A paradox. A historian and attorney by training, allegedly, 
Charleston has taught courses on gender studies at the University of Wisconsin, according to her Harvard bio, which describes her as, quote, one of the nation's leading experts in diversity, end quote. Well, ladies and gentlemen, today I would like to declare myself also one of the nation's leading experts in diversity, because why not? The barrier to entry is literally no barrier whatsoever. None whatsoever. There's a, just declare yourself to be, and you. I've never ripped anybody off, so I don't. I'm already a step ahead. I'm the ethical version of one of the leading experts in diversity in the nation. I think I'm going to switch that in my bio on Twitter. I'm just going to change that to one of the nation's leading experts in what the hell is an expert in diversity? I sit at the front door. And I watch people enter, and I have a piece of paper with separate lines on it, boxes, and if one of this one walks in, I put a line in there. And if one of this one walks in, I put a line in that one. And then at the end of the day, after watching people walk in and out all day long, sometimes a couple of days, I then crunch the numbers, which means I add up the little check marks. And then I compare that to the population of the country or whatever I think happens if the population of the country doesn't work. I do the immediate vicinity or the state or whatever. And then I determine whether or not this company is diverse enough. At which point I take my gigantic check. I cash it. I type up my research, which consists of a couple of sentences explaining what the numbers are, and then the numbers, I hit send in an email, and then I use $100 bills to light cigars. Celebrate diversity. It pays really well. You have to look at this stuff and, and question what happened to standards. And you go, well, we got a senile president of the United States. We got this, that, and the other. And we got an open border, and Democrats are insisting that there's no open border. There's no, what border? Border, open border. What? What are you talking about? And you, you sit there and you go, what in the hell is happening? There used to be objective truths. They're just this reality. Now you get, it's my truth. What do you mean it's your truth? Well, it's my truth. What is your truth? Uh, just stuff, things and such. Huh. That's not what what happened. What happened is something entirely different. Like, oh, no, it's my truth. It's my objective truth. And you, who are you to judge me? Well, uh, I'm a person. I'm an American, and uh, the hell with it. I just don't like you. I'm judging you. I've deemed you to be whatever. And you watch all this crap just go by the wayside, and you watch standards. Members of Congress arguing that the border is closed. It's not open. It's not open at all. And questioning used to be, used to be that challenging academic assumptions or declarations was the point of a peer-reviewed study, right? You do the study to challenge what nobody goes, you know what, this thing's been studied to death. There have been 500,000 studies on issue X. So what I want to do is I want to do the 5,000 first. 
And you, you sit there and you go, yeah, I've, I've reaffirmed everything that everybody said before. I've studied what everybody did, but I did the work myself. It's, sadly, that's a lot of what academia is, where they just go, I'm going to reaffirm things. They're, they're, it's make work. They're trying to find something to do. But if somebody looks at something and says, you know, this has been the conventional wisdom for a very long time, but I'm not really sure that I buy it. I think that there's evidence. I'm going to look and see and check the math, and I've crunched the numbers before, but I'm going to get new numbers, and I'm going to look and, and see where this thing really falls. That becomes controversial. If you upset the apple cart, oh, it's conventional wisdom. Climate change is going to kill us all. Climate change, rising sea levels, blah, 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 blah. Wait a second. You've been talking about rising sea levels since the 70s. And yet the sea level hasn't really risen. At some point, doesn't something actually have to happen? I know they say, well, this part of the world, uh, the ocean has reclaimed a little bit of the beach. Okay, maybe. Do you ever think that maybe, just maybe, that that part of the beach we have tectonic plates that those have have lowered? Because if the ocean has risen the way that it has, wouldn't you know? I don't know. Cities built directly on it. Go to Manhattan. Wouldn't there be water flooding over the thing? It's not like you can add a whole bunch of water to the ocean down in the Gulf of Mexico, and oh my goodness. It is uh, one of the islands in the Florida Keys is now just a little bit smaller. It's obviously rising oceans. Oh, so it was, wait a minute, you, you dumped water into the ocean and it was very, very localized? It's very, because that's not how water works anyway. That, you're, you're burying the lead, dude. If you can dump water into a, <coughs> the, the shallow end of the pool and make the shallow end of the pool deeper, without impacting the deep end of the pool because, you know, you still want to be able to touch the bottom, that would be huge news. But that's not how water works. Water seeks its own level. So rising water in one place would mean rising water every place else. Maybe there's something else happening here. As new islands appear, either through volcanic activity or through earthquakes or with land being thrust up, it makes sense that others might sort of sink down. We are sitting, you know, like, well, we're in this huge ball, a blue ball. Yeah, there's we're, we're on dirt floating on lava, all right? We're on dirt floating on lava. And we've all learned that over the course of human history, that dirt has busted up and moved around significantly. So wouldn't it make sense that some of it would still be moving? If the lava were hardening, I am pretty sure we'd be screwed as a species and as a planet. So be glad that it's moving around and maybe accept that and go, hey, some things rise up a little bit. Some things sink down a little bit. But my whole life, I've been told Venice is sinking. Venice is sinking. I went to Venice. It didn't seem to be sinking to me. I wasn't walking through puddles everywhere that I was walking on the bridges and the, and the sidewalks. But we've been told Venice is sinking, Venice is sinking. If the sea is rising and Venice is sinking, should it not be most pronounced there? Yet if you look at Venice, it's weird. The water is right about where the water's always kind of been. 
maybe down a little bit, but Venice sinking is something they can measure and something they measured before they discovered that they needed the sea to be rising. So they can't really suddenly say, well, no, Venice wasn't really sinking. It was the water rising. Because again, that would beg the question, then why isn't water rising everywhere? So they had to stick with Venice's sinking. But if both were happening, wouldn't the problem be more pronounced? Wouldn't the problem be visible at some point? Somewhere along the lines, you can't you challenge that conventional wisdom and suddenly you become public enemy number one. Speaking of the uh, lunatics over there, I want to <clears throat> I want to on the left in the environmental movement and climate change. I want to play you the uh, New York City comptroller. And you sit there and you go, well, I don't live in New York City or I'm not a public. It's, it's this mentality that is everywhere. It's the mentality, not the locality that matters. This mentality is everywhere. So if you have retirement, if you're a public sector employee and you still have a pension or whatever, it's what the left is doing. Even if you just have 401ks or IRAs, it's going to impact you. Governments put a lot of money into these pension funds, and they are now dictating that companies, banks, justify and explain where they're investing their money, where they're you know loaning money to. And if it's not enough green energy, then these municipalities want to pull out their money, their pension funds from the punishing banks, therefore forcing banks to make loans they otherwise wouldn't in industries they don't determine to be safe, worthy of investment. So this guy was on CNBC this morning. And he said this. Explain to me how going, asking Bank of America, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan Chase and Royal Bank of Canada to disclose their ratios of clean energy to fossil fuel financing. How does that help the investments that New York City makes for its pensions? So, look, New York City's investments are long term. You know, first year teacher, we're going to pay their retirement decades out from now, almost toward the end of the century. So. Climate risk is financial risk. We've got to make the energy transition from fossil fuels to clean and renewable energy, or we're going to burn it up in our portfolio as temperatures and seas rise. Banks know this, but they aren't being transparent and rapid enough in that energy transition. And that's why disclosing their ratios of uh, financing renewable energy versus financing fossil fuels and making the transition you know, quickly enough to matter is what matters to New York City retirees decades out. Yeah, I'm sure that New York City retirees are losing sleep over the concept. But they're going to start moving money around. They're going to force banks to say, don't loan to this industry, only loan to this industry. That's going to cripple industries. A whole bunch of big businesses operate on loans. They take out a loan to make payroll. Then when the money comes in, they pay back the loan. They think, well, they're billion-dollar industries. Yeah, but that's just how they operate. Because there isn't always, they're not always lousy with cash. If these people are successful, they're going to forcibly screw over the industries that work for the industries that don't work. And you're going to end up having to pay the difference for it. That's how it works. And you go, well, we need to act now because if we don't, then this, it'll be too late to act. They've been telling us that for 30 years. But we never reached that quite soon. We're approaching the tipping point where it's too late to act. There's no evidence of it right now. But once we get to that mythical tipping point, it'll be too late to act. So we must act now. 
the sense of urgency for 30 years wears a little thin to a thinking person, doesn't it? Or at least it should. But we don't have any thinking people in positions of government. So I guess it doesn't really matter. God, we're so screwed. All right, that's about enough for today, don't you say? Let's get on with it because tomorrow is Friday and good Lord. Don't we all want, love, need, cherish, honestly, a Friday? Lord knows I do. Thank you for listening. Check out Patreon.com. Get in the Buzz Aldrin contest, all that stuff. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks. Thanks.